Chapter 7 I did considerable thinking on what Elizabeth Searcy had told me about Old Yeller and finally went and told Mama. Why that old rogue, she said. We'll have to try to figure out some way to keep him from prowling. Everybody in the settlement will be mad at us if we don't. Somebody will shoot him, I said. Try tying him, she said. So I tried tying him, but we didn't have any bailing wire in those days, and he could chew through about anything else before you could turn your back. I tried him with a rope and then with a big thick rawhide string that I cut from a cowhide hanging across the top rail of the yard fence. It was the same thing in both cases, and by the time we could get off to bed, he'd done chewing too and was gone. Well, let's just try the corn crib, Mama said on the third night, which was a good idea that might have worked if it hadn't been for little Arliss. I took old Yeller out and put him in the corn crib, and the second that he heard the door shut on him, he set up to yelling and howling that brought little Arliss on the run. Mom and I both tried to explain to him why we needed to shut the dog up, but little Arliss was too mad to listen. You can't explain things very well to somebody who is screaming his head off and chunking you with rocks as fast as he can pick them up. So that didn't work either. Well, it looks like we're just stumped, Mama said. And I thought for a minute and said, No, Mama, I believe we've got one other chance. That's to shut him up in the same room with me and little Arliss every night. But he'll sleep in the bed with you boys, Mama said. And the first thing you know, you'll both be scratching fleas and having mange and breaking out with ringworms. No, I'll put him on the cowhide on the floor and make him sleep there, I said. So Mama agreed, and I spread a cowhide on the floor beside our bed, and we shut Old Yeller in and didn't have a bit more trouble. Of course, Old Yeller didn't sleep on the cowhide, and once, a good while later, I did break out with a little ringworm under my left arm. But I rubbed it with turpentine, just like Mama always did, and it soon went away. And after that, when we fed Old Yeller cornmeal mush and fresh meat, he ate it and did well on it, and never one time bothered our chicken's nest. <coughs> About that time, too, the varmints got to pestering us so much that a lot of times Old Yeller and I were kept busy nearly all night long. It was the coons, mainly. The corn was ripening into roasting ears now, and the coons would come at night and strip the shucks back with their little hands and gnaw the milky kernels off the cob. Also, the watermelons were beginning to turn red inside, and the skunks would come and open them up like little round holes in the rinds and reach in with their forefeet and drag out the juicy insides to eat. And Sometimes the coyotes would come and eat watermelons too, and now and then a deer would jump into the field and eat corn, melons, and peas. So old Yeller and I took to sleeping in the corn patch every night. We slept on the cowhide that Yeller never would sleep on at the house. That is, we did when we got to sleep. Most of the night, we'd be up fighting coons. We slept out in the middle of the patch where Yeller could scent a coon clear to the fence on every side. We'd lie there on the cowhide and look up at the stars and listen to the warm night breeze rustling the corn blades. Sometimes I'd wonder what the stars were and what kept them hanging up there so high and and bright, bright if Papa, way off yonder in Kansas, could see the same stars I could see. I was getting mighty lonesome to see Papa. <clears throat> With the help of old Yeller, I was taking care of things all right, but I was sure beginning to wish that he'd just come back home. Then I'd think a while about the time when I'd get big enough to go off on a cow drive myself, riding my own horse and seeing all the big new country of plains and creeks and rivers and mountains and timber and new towns and Indian camps. 
And then finally, just about the time I started drifting off to sleep, I'd hear old Yeller rise to his feet and go padding off through the corn. A minute later, his yelling bay would lift me some part off of the corn patch, and I'd hear the fighting squall of some coon caught stealing corn. Then I'd jump to my feet and go running through the corn, shouting encouragement to old Yeller. Get him, Yeller! I'd holler. Tear him up! And that's what old Yeller would be trying to do. But a boar coon isn't an easy thing to tear up. And for one thing, he'll fight you from sundown till sunup. He's not big for size, but the longer you fight him, the bigger he seems to get. He fights you with all four feet and every tooth in his head and enough courage for an animal five times his size. And on top of that, he's fighting inside a thick hide that fills a dog's mouth like a wad of loose sacking. The dog has a hard time ever really biting him. He just squirms and twists around inside that hide and won't quit fighting even after the dog's got enough and is ready to throw the fight to him. Plenty of times, Papa and I had seen a boar coon whip Bell, run him off, and then turn on us and chase us clear out of the cornfield. It was easy for me to go running through the dark cornfields, yelling for Old Yeller to tear up the thieving coon, but it wasn't easy for Old Yeller to do it. He'd be yelling, and the coon would be squalling, and they'd go wallowing and clawing and threshing through the corn, popping the stalks and as they broke them off, making such an uproar in the night that it sounded like murder. But generally, when the fight was all over, the coon went one way and Old Yeller the other. Both of them pretty well satisfied to call it quits. We didn't get much sleep of a night while all this was going on. But we had us a good time and saved the corn from the coons. The only real bad part of it was the skunks. What with all that racket we made coon fighting, the skunks didn't come often. And But when one did come, whew, we were in a mess. Old Yeller could handle a skunk easy enough. All he had to do was to rush in, grab it by the head, and give it a good shaking. That would break the skunk's neck, but it wouldn't end the trouble. Because not even a hoot owl can kill a skunk without getting sprayed with his scent. And skunk scent is a smell that won't ever quit. Every time, after every skunk killing, Old Yeller would get so sick that he could hardly stand it. He'd snort and drool and slobber and vomit. He'd roll and waller in the dirt and go dragging his body through the tall weeds, trying to get the scent off, but he just couldn't. Then finally he'd give up and come lie down on the cowhide with me, and of course he'd smell so bad that I couldn't stand him and have to go off and try to sleep somewhere else. Then he'd follow me and get his feelings hurt because I wouldn't let him sleep with me. Pop always said that a breathing skunk scent was the best way in the world to cure a head cold, but this was summertime. When Old Yeller and I didn't have a head colds, we would just assume that the skunks stayed out of the watermelons and let us alone. Working there night after night, guarding our precious bread corn from the varmints, I came to see what I would have to been up against if I hadn't had to do it without the help of Old Yeller. And by myself, I'd had been run to death and still probably wouldn't have saved the corn. Also, look at all the fun I would have missed if I'd been alone and how lonesome I would have been. I have to admit, Papa had been right when he told me how bad I needed a dog. I saw that even more clearly when the spotted heifer had her first calf. Our milk cows were old-time loghorn cattle and didn't give a lot of milk. It was real hard to find one that would give much more than her her calf could take. What we generally had to do was milk five or six cows to get enough milk just for the family. But... We had one crumpled horn cow named Rose that gave a lot of milk, only she was getting old, and Papa kept hoping that each of her heifer calves would 
turned out to be a good milker as Rose. Mama had tried two or three, but none of them proved to be any good. And then along came this spotted one that was just raw-boned and ugly enough to make a good milk cow. She had the bag for it, too, and Mama was certain this time that she'd get a milk cow to replace Rose. The only trouble was this heifer spot, as we called her, had been snaky wild from the day she was born. Try to drive her with the other cattle and she'd just run off and hide. Hem her up in the corner and try to get your hands on her and she'd turn on you and make a fight. Mom had been trying all along to get Spot gentled before she had had her first calf, but it was no use. Spot didn't want to be friends with anybody. We knew she was going to give us a pile of trouble when we set out to milk her. I failed to find Spot with the rest of the milk cows one evening, and when I went to drive them up the next day, she was still gone. It's time for her to calf, Mama said, and I'll bet she's got one. So the next morning I went further back in the hills and searched all over. I finally came across her, holed up in the dense thicket of bee myrtle close to the little seep spring. I got one brief glimpse of a wobbly, long-legged calf before Spot snorted and took after me. She ran me clear to the top of the next high ridge before she turned back. I made another try. I got to the edge of the thicket and picked me up some rocks. I went to hollering and chunking into the brush, trying to scare her and the calf out, but I got her out all right, but she wasn't scared. She came straight for me with her horns lowered, bawling her threats as she came. I had to turn tail a second time, and again she chased me clear to the top of that ridge. I tried it one more time, then went back to the house and got old Yeller. I didn't know if he knew anything about driving cattle or not, but I was willing to bet that he could keep her from chasing me, and he did. I went up the edge of the thicket and started hollering and chunking rocks into it. Here came the heifer, madder than ever, it looked like. I yelled at old Yeller, get her Yeller, I hollered, and Yeller, he got her. He pulled the neatest trick I ever saw a dog pull on a cow brute. Only I didn't see it the first time. I was getting away from there too fast. I'd stumbled and fallen to my knees when I turned to run from Spot's charge, and she was too close behind me for me to be looking back and watching what old Yeller was doing. I just heard and scared, bawled that she let out and crashed on of the brush of Old Yeller rolled into her into it. I ran a piece further, then looked back. The heifer was scrambling to her feet in a cloud of dust and looking like she didn't know any more about what had happened than I did. And then she caught the sight of Old Yeller. She snorted, stuck her tail in the air, and made for him. Yeller ran like he was scared to death, and he cut back around the thicket. A second later, he was coming in behind Spot. Without making a sound, he ran up beside her, made his leap, and set his teeth in on her nose. I guess it was the weight of him that did it. I saw him do it lots of times later, but never did I quite understand how. Anyhow, he just set his teeth in her nose, doubled himself up in a tight ball, and swung on. That turned the charging heifer a flip. Her heels went straight up in the air over her head. She landed flat on her back with all four feet sticking up. She hit the ground so hard that it sounded like she ought to bust wide open. I guess she felt about the same way about it, too. Anyhow, after taking that second fall, well, she didn't have a, much fight left in her. She just scrambled to her feet and went trotting back into the thicket, lowering to her calf. I followed her with Old Yeller beside me, and we drove her out and across the hills to the cow lot. Not one time did she turn on us again. <clears throat> She did try to run off a couple times, but all I had to do was send old Yeller in to head her. And the second he caught sight of him, she couldn't turn fast enough to get ahead back in the right direction. It was the same when we got into the cow pen. 
and her bag was all in a strut with milk that the calf couldn't hold. Mama said that we needed to get that milk out. She came with a bucket, and I took it, knowing I had me a big kick and fight on my hands if I ever hoped to get any milk. The kicking fight started. The first time I touched Spot's bag, she reached out with a flying hind foot, aiming to kick my head off and coming close to doing it. And then she wheeled on me and put me on top of the rail fence as quick as a squirrel could have made it. Mama shook her head. I was hoping she wouldn't be that way. I always hate to have to tie up a heifer to break her for milking. But I guess there's no other way with this one. I thought of all the trouble it would be having to tie up that spot heifer head and feet twice a day every day for a month or maybe more. I looked at old Yeller standing just outside the pen. Yeller, you come in here. Yeller came bounding through the rails. Mama said, Why, son, you can't teach a heifer to stand with a dog in the pen, especially one with a young calf. She'll be fighting him all the time, thinking he's a wolf or something, trying to get her calf. I laughed. <laughs> well, maybe it won't work, but I bet you one thing, she won't be fighting old Yeller. And she didn't either. She lowered her horns and rolled her eyes as I brought old Yeller up to her. <clears throat> now, Yeller, I said, you stand here and you watch her. Old Yeller seemed to know just what I wanted. He walked right up to where he could almost touch his nose to hers and stood there, wagging his stub tail. And she didn't charge him or run from him. All she did was stand there and sort of tremble. I went back and milked out her strutted bag, and she didn't offer to kick me one time. Just flinched and drew up a little when I first touched her. Well, that does beat all, Mama marveled. Why, at that rate, we'll have her broke to milk in a week's time. And Mama was right. Within three days after we started, I could drive Spot into a pen, go right up and milk her, and all I had to do was stand there and stare at old Yeller. And by the end of the second week, she was standing and belching and chewing her cud, the gentlest cow I ever milked. After all that, I guess you could see why I nearly died when a man rode up one day and claimed old Yeller. <coughs> Chapter 8 The man's name was Burn Sanderson. He was a young man who rode a good horse and was mighty nice and polite about taking his hat off to Mama when he dismounted in front of our cabin. He told Mama who he was, and he said he was a newcomer to Salt Licks. He said that he'd come from down San Antonio Way with a little bunch of cattle that he was grazing over in the Devil River's country. He said he couldn't afford to hire riders, so he brought along a couple of dogs to help him herd his cattle. One of these dogs, the best one, had disappeared. He'd inquired around about it in Salt Licks, and Bud seriously had told him that we had the dog. A, a big yellow dog? Mama asked, looking sober and worried. Yes, am the man said, then added with a grin. And the worst egg sucker and camp robber you'll ever lay eyes on. Still you're blind, that old devil will. But there never was a better cow dog born. Mama turned to me. Son, call old Yeller, she said. I stood frozen in my tracks. I was so full of panic that I couldn't move or think. Go on, son. I think he and little Arliss must be playing down about the creek somewhere. But Mama, I gasped, we can't do without old Yeller. He's Travis. Mama's voice was too sharp, and I knew I was whipped. I turned and went toward the creek, so mad at Bud Searcy that I couldn't see straight. Why, couldn't he just keep his blabber mouth shut? <laughs> Come on up to the house, I told little Arliss. I guess the way I said it let him know that something real bad was happening. He didn't argue or stick out his tongue or anything. He just got out of the water and followed me back to the house and embarrassed Mama and the young man nearly to death because he came packing his clothes in one hand instead of wearing them. 
Well, I guess Bern Sanderson had gotten an idea of how much we thought of Old Yeller, or maybe Mama had told him some things about the dog while I was gone to the creek. Anyhow, he acted uncomfortable about taking the dog off. Now, Mrs. Coates, he said to Mama, your man is gone, and you and the boys don't have much protection here. Bad as I need that old dog, I can make out without him until your man comes. But Mama shook her head. No, Mr. Sanderson, he's your dog, and the longer we keep him, the harder it'll be for us to give him up. Now, take him along, I can make the boys understand. The man tied his rope around Old Yeller's neck and mounted his horse, and that's when little Arliss caught on to what was happening. He threw a walleye fit. He screamed and he hollered. He grabbed up a bunch of rocks and went to throwing them at Burn Sanderson. One hit Sanderson's horse on the flank. The horse bogged his head and went to pitching and bawling and grunting. This excited Old Yeller, and he chased after the horse, banging him at the top of his voice. <clears throat> and with Mama running after little Arliss, hollering for him to shut up and quit throwing those rocks... It all together was the biggest and loudest commotion that had taken place around our cabin for a good long time. When Burns Sanderson finished riding the pitch out of his scared horse, he hollered at Old Yeller, and he told him he'd better hush up that racket before he got his brains beat out. And then he rode back towards us, wearing a wide grin. His grin got wilder as he saw how Mama and I were holding little Arliss. We each had him by one wrist and were holding him clear off the ground. He couldn't get at any more rocks to throw that way, but it... Sure didn't keep him from dancing up and down in the air and screaming. Turn him loose, Sanderson said with a big laugh. He's not going to throw any more rocks at me. He swung down from his saddle. He came and got little Arliss and loved him up until he hushed screaming. Then he said, Look, boy, do you really want that thieving old dog? He held little Arliss off and stared him straight in the eyes, waiting for little Arliss to answer. Little Arliss stared straight back at him and didn't say a word. Well, do you? He insisted. Finally, little Arliss nodded, then tucked his chin and looked away. All right, Burns Anderson said. We'll make a trade. Just between you and me, I'll let you keep that old rascal. But you gotta do something for me. He waited till little Arliss finally got up the nerve to ask what, and then went on. Well, it's like this. I've hung around over there in that cow camp, eating my own cooking till I'm about starved out. I don't throw, even throw a shadow. Now, if you could talk your mama into feeding me a real jammed up meal of woman cooked grub, I think it would be worth at least one a one-eared yellow dog, don't you? I didn't wait to hear any more. I ran off and was so full of relief that I was about to pop. I knew that if I didn't get out of sight in a hurry, this Burn Sanderson was going to catch me crying. Mama cooked the best dinner that I had ever ate. We had roast venison and fried catfish and stewed squirrel and black-eyed peas and cornbread and flour gravy and butter and wild honey and hog plum jelly and fresh buttermilk. I ate till it seemed like my eyeballs would pop out of my head, and I still didn't make anything like a show that Burn Sanderson made. He was a slim man, not merely nearly as big as Papa, and I never could figure out where he was putting all that grub. But long before he finally sighed and shook his head at the last of the squirrel stew, I was certain one thing. He sure wouldn't have any trouble throwing a shadow on the ground for the rest of that day. A good black shadow. After dinner, he sat around for a while talking to me and Mama and making little Arliss some toy horses out of dried cornstalks. And then he said his thank yous to Mama and told me to come with him. I followed him with him while he led his horse down to the spring for water. I remember how Papa had led me away from the house like this the day he left, and I knew by that Burns Sanderson had something he wanted to talk about. 
At the spring, he slipped the bits out of the horse's mouth to let him drink, then turned to me. Now, boy, he said, I didn't want to tell your mama this. I didn't want her to worry. But there's a plague of hydrophobia making the rounds, and I want you to be on the lookout for it. I felt a scare run through me. I didn't know much about hydrophobia, but from what Bud seriously had told us about his uncle that died chained to a tree, I knew it was something bad. I stared at Burn Sanderson and didn't say anything. <clears throat> and there's no mistake about it, he said. I've done shot two wolves, a fox, and one skunk that had it. And over at Salt Licks, a woman had to kill a bunch of house cats that her youngins had been playing with. She wasn't sure, but she couldn't afford to take any chances, and you can't either. But how will I know what to shoot and what not to, I wanted to know. Well, you, you can't hardly tell at first, he said. Not until they've already gone to foaming at the mouth and reeling with the blind staggers. Anytime you see a critter acting like that, you know for sure. But you watch for others that aren't doing that far along. You take no pet, you take a pet cat. If he takes to spitting and fighting at you for no reason, you shoot him. Same with a dog. He'll get mad at nothing and want to bite you. Take a fox or a wildcat. You know they'll run from you. When they don't run and try to make a fight at you, shoot them. Shoot anything that acts unnatural. And don't fool around about it. It's too late after they've already bitten or scratched you. Talk like that made my heart jump up out of my throat until I couldn't hardly get my breath. I looked down at the ground and went to kicking some around some rocks. You're not scared, are you now, boy? I'm only telling you because I know your papa left you in charge of things. I know you can handle whatever comes up. I'm just telling you to watch close and not let anything, anything, get to you or your folks with hydrophobia. Think you can do it? I swallowed. I, I, I can do it, I told him. I'm not scared. The sternness left Burn Sanderson's face, and he put his hand on my shoulder, just as Papa had done the day he left. Good boy. That's the way a man talks. Then he gripped my shoulder real tight, mounted his horse, and rode off through the brush. And I was so scared and mixed up about the danger of hydrophobia that it was clear until the next day before I even thought about thanking him for giving us old yeller. <laughs>